Chapter Twenty, Part Two. Princess Minikin. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Victoria Kahn. The Old Old Fairy Tales by Laura Valentine. Princess Minikin. The king and queen looked at each other, and after a short silence, the former requested to be changed into a statue until my thirteen probationary years should be accomplished, while the latter confined her wishes to requesting that the temperature of the well in which I was to be bathed might always be adapted to the season. The fairies, charmed with this excess of tenderness, granted in addition that the well should be filled with orange-flower water and that the king, whenever the queen should throw some of this water over him, should resume his natural form, and be changed into a statue again whenever he should wish. Then the fairies took their leave of us, after having praised the king and queen for their moderation. They disappeared, and I felt grief for the first time in my life at seeing the king, my father, become a large statue of black marble the queen gave way to tears and i also but at last as everything has an end i ceased to cry and only thought of consoling my mother for my mind was highly intellectual and my heart capable of the deepest feelings the queen passed nearly all her time at the feet of the statue and i after being bathed according to the fairy's instructions went regularly to milk our sheep this milk formed our principal food for the queen was too weak to have an appetite for anything else indeed it was only her love for me that made her wish to prolong a life which seemed so unfortunate alas my child my child would she say to me occasionally of what avail to us has been our high rank for she no longer concealed from me my birth would not a less elevated station have been preferable to a crown attended with such grievous misfortunes virtue alone joined to my affection for you my dear minikin enables me to support them but there are moments when my soul seems anxious to quit my body and when i confess that i feel a pleasure in the certainty that i must die i was regularly bathed every day and my mother was very much afflicted at seeing the king always remain an inanimate statue however she dared not recall him to life for fear that she should only cause him the grief of witnessing my predicted misfortune the fairies not having specified in what way my fate was to affect me we were in a dreadful state of anxiety the queen in particular her imagination having a vast field for its exercise foreboded to her the most frightful misfortunes and had no bounds to its fears for my part i soon ceased to think upon the subject so true is it that youth is the only season in which we enjoy the present my mother was continually saying that she had a great mind to recall the king to life which i advised her to do at last at the end of six months seeing that the fairy's bath had made me very beautiful and had improved my understanding which was maturing from day to day she resolved to gratify herself in order as she said to give the king the pleasure of seeing me so she desired me to fetch her some water from the well 
Accordingly, the next morning, when I had bathed, I brought up with me a jug filled with this miraculous water, and the moment that my mother sprinkled some drops of it on the statue, my father became a man again. The queen threw herself at his feet to ask his pardon for disturbing his repose. My father raised her and embraced her tenderly. Peace was concluded, and she presented to him his daughter. The king was delighted with me and lavished on me a thousand caresses. Then, turning to the queen, he asked her if she had any news. "'Alas!' said my mother, "'how should any reach me in this desert?' "'Well, then,' said the king, "'you shall hear some from me, for I have not been asleep all this time, as you supposed. The fairies who protect us have shown me that my subjects have been terribly punished for their wickedness, my kingdom being transformed into one vast lake, and the inhabitants into so many menfish. A nephew of the fairy Marmata, whom they have placed upon the throne, persecutes them with unceasing cruelty. He eats them up for the slightest offence. At the end of a certain period, the exact duration of which is unknown to me, a prince will come who shall reign in his stead, and, in the kingdom, which will be then re-established, Minikin will enjoy a long life of happiness. That is all I have learned, and I have not passed my time very idly, said the king, laughing to have learned so much. We passed some time very happily indeed. The king and queen, however, were rather sorrowful when they remembered that I was approaching my thirteenth year. As the queen was very careful to bathe me every day, she still hoped that the prediction would not be fulfilled. But who can boast of having evaded his destiny? One morning, the queen having risen early, while she was plucking some flowers to adorn our mantelpiece, for the king was very fond of flowers, she saw crawling from under a tuberose tree an ugly animal, something like a marmot. The beast sprang at my mother and bit her nose, when she fainted away with pain and the fright caused by so sudden an attack. My father, uneasy at her absence, went to seek her, and you may judge of his horror at finding his wife weltering in her blood and nearly dead. He uttered frightful cries which soon brought me to his assistance, and between us we bore the queen to our cottage and laid her on her bed, where she lay insensible for two hours. At last she began to give signs of returning consciousness, and in a few moments we had the extreme pleasure of seeing her perfectly restored except that the wound she had received was exceedingly painful. Her first question was whether I had been bathed, but we had been so much engaged attending to her that I had forgotten my bath. On hearing this, my mother was dreadfully alarmed, but seeing that no accident had as yet befallen me, she soon became tranquil, and related to us the particulars of her misfortune, at which we were very much surprised. However, the day passed without any other mischance. The king had taken down his fowling-piece, and made a diligent search after the vile brute, but in vain. He could not find it. The next morning, at daybreak, the queen arose and took me to the well. She lowered me therein, as usual, but, alas, oh, fatal and miserable day! At that moment the sky, although still perfectly serene, echoed with a dreadful thunder, while the day was rendered more brilliant by a fearful lightning, 
and there issued from a burning cloud which suddenly arose a fiery dart which rushed into the well terrified my mother quitted her hold of the cord that held me and i was precipitated to the bottom of the well when i immediately became sensible that the lower half of my body was transformed into so much of an enormous whale i swam about for a short time and then began calling on the queen with all my might she did not answer at which i was very much afflicted and i was crying very bitterly as much for the loss of my mother as at my metamorphosis when i felt an unknown power forcing me to descend and having arrived at the bottom of the water i entered a crystal grotto in which i observed a sort of nymph shaped like a frog but exceedingly large and rather dirty however she smiled when she saw me and said minikin i am the nymph of the bottomless well and am called citronetta i have orders to receive you here and to make you perform the penance to which you are doomed for having omitted your bath follow me and make no reply she took hold of my tail and dragged me unresistingly into a green marble saloon which was near her grotto and there placed me in a golden tub full of water when i began to recover my spirits the good nymph appeared to be in ecstasies i informed her of the events of my life and then begged her to tell me what was become of the king and queen she was about to answer me when a frightful marmot as large as a human creature entered the saloon and froze me with horror she walked upright on her hind legs leaning on a golden wand she came up to the tub in which i would fain have drowned myself i was so terrified and touched me with her wand minikin she said to me you are in my power and nothing can withdraw you from it but your obedience and that of the prince whom my sisters have destined to be your husband listen to me and divest yourself of your fear which does not become the daughter of a king from your infancy i wish to protect you and marry you to my nephew the king of the whitings effulgent however and two or three more of my sisters had already taken upon themselves to provide you with a husband and angry in consequence i let the effects of my ill-humour fall upon you having no power over my sisters i resolved to punish you for their stubbornness and so ordained that you should be transformed into a creature half woman half whale for at least the half of your life my sisters cried shame on such injustice so i was induced to diminish the effects of my vengeance but for my complaisance i reserved to myself the determination of marrying you to my nephew effulgent who is somewhat imperious and whose power is unfortunately superior to mine would not hear of this reservation because she had destined you for a prince who was under her protection i was accordingly obliged to accede to her wishes notwithstanding my resentment and all that i could obtain was that the one who should deliver you from my power should become your husband these are their portraits added the fairy handing to me two golden cases you will know them by their likenesses and if one of them should come to deliver you 
it is necessary that he should promise to marry you in your present condition and in order that you may quit it he must tear off all your scales one by one otherwise you will remain half a fish all your life my nephew will not have the slightest objection to this proposition but with regard to the protege of effulgent he will not at all like the latter condition for he appears to me to be a very delicate young gentleman employ then your utmost address to make him scale you and that achieved your misfortunes will cease if indeed it be a misfortune to be a very beautiful whale fat and well fed with water up to your neck this speech to which i made no reply made me very sorrowful both on account of my metamorphosis and of the scaling i was doomed to undergo marmotta disappeared leaving us the two boxes which contained the portraits i was weeping at the thoughts of my unfortunate situation quite regardless of the boxes when the kind and compassionate citronetta said come let us not lament misfortunes which it is not in our power to remedy let us amuse ourselves by examining the portraits with that she opened one of the two boxes and showing it to me we both uttered a shriek of horror on seeing the portrait of an ugly whiting on which however the artist had bestowed as much beauty as he could but still never in the memory of man was anything seen so frightful take the detestable object from my sight said i i cannot endure to look on it longer i would sooner remain a whale all my life than marry the horrible whiting my companion did not give me time to finish my imprecations on the monster see said she look at this young beauty i declare that he may scale you whenever he chooses and you will be but too happy to suffer by his hands i quickly turned to see if what she stated were true and was but too soon convinced a handsome and agreeable countenance presented itself to my sight tender and expressive eyes gave a finishing charm to a set of features in themselves noble and majestic i gazed on this charming portrait with a pleasure of which i was myself unconscious and which i had never felt till then citronetta was the first to remark it in good faith said she our choice is soon made i awakened the good-natured citronetta twenty times in the course of the night to converse with her about my prince and she soon found out his name for me and informed me that he hunted almost every day in the forest under which i was incarcerated she proposed to me that she should try to entice him to our abode but i would not consent although i was dying with anxiety to see it accomplished one day when i was more low-spirited than usual for love has this peculiarity that it disposes the tender heart to melancholy i saw the frightful marmotta enter the saloon accompanied by two persons whom i did not immediately recognize it instantly struck me that she was bringing her unlucky nephew and i uttered frightful cries they hastened up to me and i heard the wicked marmotta say why she could not make more noise if they were scaling her she cries out before she is hurt 
good heaven sister said one of the persons who accompanied her and in whom i recognized with joy the two fairies who had formerly visited my father's cottage let us hear no more for the present about the scaling but let us tell minikin what we have got to say to her oh by all means said marmotta but you know the conditions the good fairy without heeding or replying to her words spoke to me as follows minikin we are too much afflicted by your unhappy condition not to endeavour to change it and especially as you have not deserved it i and my sisters have therefore determined to lighten your misfortune as much as may be in our power our scheme is this you are going to be presented at the court of the prince to whom i have destined you from your cradle but my dear child you will not appear there in your present form although you are destined to return to it three times a week and pass the night in your tub for until you are married and scaled interrupted the hideous marmotta with a sardonic grin the good fairy turned toward her shrugged up her shoulders and immediately continued for until you are married you will remain a whale here more than this we cannot tell you but you will learn all in good time above all be very careful to keep your secret for if a single word escape you which has a tendency to make it known neither i nor my sisters can assist you more and you will be wholly in the power of my sister marmotta which she will be said that wicked fairy i already see her in my clutches a secret kept by a girl indeed would be a phenomenon that is her business said effulgent for it was she who had been speaking to me all along as to the rest my daughter she continued you will be changed into a little enameled doll but will retain both reason and speech and we will preserve your real features and now i give you a week to consider whether what i have proposed be agreeable to you there wanted only one day to the fairy's appointment when citronetta who had assumed the shape of a wild boar and had gone to the forest to procure me news of zirphil returned followed by that too amiable prince i cannot express to you my joy at seeing him there are no words expressive enough to convey even a distant idea of what i felt but what delighted me most was to perceive that the prince appeared enchanted with me at least i inferred so from his looks citronetta more anxious for my happiness than for our momentary transport dissipated it by proposing to prince zirphil to marry me or to scale me brought back to recollection and feeling the danger of our situation i joined my tears and entreaties to citronetta's and by our supplications we induced the prince to pledge to me his faith we had no sooner exchanged rings than he vanished unaccountably from my sight and i found myself in my proper shape lying in a comfortable bed i was no longer troubled with the thoughts of being metamorphosed still i was confined in the bowels of the earth in the green marble saloon and citronetta had lost the power of quitting it and of transforming herself i expected the return of the fairies with fear and trembling marmotta appeared at daybreak 
unaccompanied by effulgent or her companion and not looking more angry than usual she touched me with her wand without saying a word and i became a charming little doll when having put me in her toothpick case she transported herself to the palace of the queen my husband's mother she gave me to her with orders to espouse me to her son or expect all the misfortunes that lay in her marmotta's power to draw upon her adding that i was her goddaughter and called the princess minikin i conceived a very strong friendship for my mother-in-law i loved her for her good qualities independent of her being the mother of my adored zirphil and i was blessed with her friendship in return i was transported however every night to the green marble saloon in company with my husband i cannot divine why i was forbidden to tell him my secret since i was married to him however i did keep it notwithstanding zirphil's impatience to learn it you are about to see continued the speaker sighing that it is impossible to avoid the doom of fate however she added it is nearly daybreak and i am dreadfully fatigued with being so long out of the water so let me return to the pond and to-morrow at the same hour if we are not chosen for the broth of the wretched king of the whitings we will resume the thread of my story come let us be moving zirphil heard no more and returned to his apartment very sorrowful at not having apprised his princess that he was so near her but the fear of increasing her misfortunes by his indiscretion consoled him for not having attempted to do so however the dread of her perishing by his own hands made him resolve to resume his inquiries among the crawfish and to learn their histories prince Zirphil went to bed but not to sleep he could not close his eyes all night to have discovered his princess to see her in the shape of a crawfish and in danger of being sacrificed to appease the appetite of the king of the whitings seemed to the prince to be a more dreadful punishment than the death to which he believed she was destined he was in a cruel state of agitation when a loud noise was heard in the garden at first zirphil only heard it faintly but on listening he distinguished the sounds of flutes and conch shells he sprang out of bed and looked through the window when he saw the king of the whitings accompanied by the twelve men sharks who had composed his council walking in the direction of his pavilion zirphil hastened to open the door and the procession having entered the king in the first place had his tub refilled with fresh sea-water by the lords who were carrying him then after a few minutes rest he took his place in the council and addressed the young prince as follows whoever you may be you are apparently resolved that i shall die of hunger for you send me day after day such wretched broth that i cannot swallow a spoonful then turning to an attendant his majesty added go to my kitchen and bring me the crawfish mortar i would regale the council a man-pike immediately ran and fetched what the king desired and while he was gone the twelve men-sharks took a large net and cast it through the window into the pond catching three or four thousand crawfish during the interval in which the council was employed fishing 
and while the man-pike was gone for the king's pestle and mortar zirphil was absorbed in reflection he felt that the most critical moment of his whole life was at hand and that the question of his happiness or misery was about to be determined but summoning all his fortitude and resolution he prepared to obey the king the council ceremoniously presented the crawfish and the prince attempted to pound some of them but a similar adventure happened with these as had occurred with those which he had attempted to pound in the kitchen the bottom of the mortar opened and flames devoured them the king of the whitings and his rascally courtiers amused themselves for a long time with the extraordinary spectacle taking great pains and apparently receiving much pleasure in continually refilling the mortar until at last there was only one of the four thousand crawfish remaining this was so large and plump that it was charming to look upon the king gave orders that someone should chill it in order that he might eat some portion of this at least and it was accordingly handed to zirphil who was not a little grieved at this new cruelty but his grief was redoubled when he saw the poor crawfish join its two claws and when its eyes streaming with tears it said to him alas zirphil what have i done to you that you are about to treat me so cruelly the prince deeply moved by the words and with a heart pierced with grief looked sorrowfully at the crawfish at last he took upon himself to entreat the king to allow it to be pounded the king jealous of his authority and unshaken in his resolution was inflamed with anger at this humble petition and threatened to have zirphil himself pounded if he did not immediately shell the crawfish the poor prince again took it from the hands of one of the men sharks to whom he had entrusted it and with a little knife which was handed to him began to shell it but no sooner had the knife touched it than the crawfish uttered so piercing a cry that the prince turned away his eyes and could no longer repress his tears after a while however he continued his disagreeable task but to his astonishment before he had well finished shelling the crawfish it changed in his hands to the vile marmotta who leaping on the floor convulsed with loud and disagreeable laughter mocked at zirphil's grief the prince however was at sight of her relieved from the oppressive fear under which he had been laboring and which had nearly made him swoon the king in astonishment cried out what is it possible that i behold my aunt yes truly it is herself said the tormenting creature but my dear whiting i have come to inform you of terrible news his majesty turned pale on hearing these words and the council assumed an air of satisfaction which quite disconcerted the king and his frightful aunt it is all over my darling continued marmotta and you must return to your watery kingdom for this obstinate creature has taken it into his head to be so ridiculously constant that i can do nothing with him he has avoided all the snares that i laid in his way in the hope of diverting him from his determination to carry off the princess whom otherwise i had destined for you on hearing these words the king of the whitings went into such an excess of fury that words cannot describe it he committed a 
thousand extravagances which made it very apparent that he was the prey of violent and ungovernable passions marmotta in vain attempted to appease him neither threats nor entreaties could prevail he broke his china bowl in a thousand pieces when all the water escaping he swooned away marmotta beside herself with anger then turned to zirphil who had been a passive spectator of the violent scene and said you have conquered zirphil by the assistance of a fairy who is my superior in power but all your sorrows are not yet over you cannot be happy until after you have restored to my possession the case which contained the unlucky minikin effulgent herself has granted me that and i have obtained from her that you shall suffer until then with these words she threw the king of the whitings over her shoulders and bundled him into the lake together with the men sharks the palace and all its inhabitants and in a moment zirphil found himself alone at the foot of a high mountain which stood in the midst of a large desert in which there was not the least sign of vegetation nor of a human habitation he looked in vain for the lake and the palace all had disappeared at once the prince was more afflicted than astonished at so extraordinary an event he had become familiarized with prodigies and was only sensible of the grief caused him by marmotta's persecution i cannot doubt soliloquized zirphil that i have pounded my princess yes i have pounded her and am no happier than i was before ah barbarous marmotta and you effulgent too even you leave me without assistance after i have obeyed you at the sacrifice of all that so sensitive a heart as mine holds dear his grief and the weariness consequent on his having passed the previous night in the grove made him feel so excessively faint that he would have most probably perished but that his courage was unequalled and his love inspired him with a wish to live after walking onward for a long while our prince came to the brink of a well which was cut through the rock here zirphil sat down to rest himself and began again to call on his protectress oh effulgent said he have you deserted me after repeating these words several times he heard a voice proceeding from the well say if zirphil is there let him speak to me the prince's joy at hearing this voice was increased by a hope that he recognized it as one to which his ear had been accustomed he sprang to the brink and answered therefore yes i am zirphil and you are you not citronetta i am said the voice and citronetta immediately arose from the well and embraced the prince words cannot paint zirphil's joy at seeing her he overwhelmed her with questions relative to herself and the princess and it was some time before the transport occasioned by their meeting being over they spoke more rationally i am about to communicate to you said citronetta all that you are anxious to learn since you pounded us we have enjoyed a happiness which your absence alone renders incomplete and i was here awaiting your arrival by the directions of the fairy effulgent that i might instruct you as to what remains for you to do 
in order to become the happy possessor without further trouble or fear of a princess whose love for you equals that which i know you feel for her but as some time must of necessity elapse before you can arrive at that happiness i will do myself the pleasure to relate to you that part of the wonderful history of your amiable spouse of which you are as yet unapprised zirphil kissed repeatedly the hands of citronetta in token of his thanks and followed her into her grotto at the sight of which he was overcome with tender recollections when he recognized it as the saloon in which he had for the first time seen his adored whale princess at last having seated himself and partaken of a repast which was furnished for him by his ring he requested the good citronetta to resume the history from the place where the princess had finished her narration as effulgent will come to seek you here said the nymph you shall in the meantime learn all that you wish to know know then that the fairy marmotta was not ignorant of your marriage but she had transformed our mutual friend into an enamelled doll thinking that you would be disgusted with her in that shape effulgent herself was however as you have heard at the bottom of that affair and well knew that no power could deprive you of the princess if you married her or destroyed her enchantment by scaling her you married her and you know what has since taken place the last time that you saw the princess and myself we were transformed into crawfish and placed in a little basket made of rushes which marmotta hung on her arm when seating herself in a chariot drawn by two adders we were speedily conveyed to the palace of the king of the whitings this palace had formerly belonged to the king who is the father of your princess the city changed into a lake formed the place where we have inhabited ever since and all the men-fish whom you saw were the wicked subjects of that good king the latter requesting to be made yeoman of the kitchen and keeper of the pestle and mortar to the king of the whitings effulgent gratified him by giving him a tap with her wand when he immediately became a man-pike such as you saw him in the discharge of his duty now you need no longer be surprised at the tears you saw him shed when you brought the crawfish to be pounded for as he knew that his daughter had to undergo that punishment he always feared that she might be among those which you brought him from time to time and the unfortunate king had not a moment's peace because his daughter had no means of making herself known to him for the queen she requested to be transformed into a crawfish in order to be with the princess and her wish was likewise granted with regard to ourselves when we arrived at the palace the fairy presented us to the king of the whitings and commanded him to have a basin of crawfish broth prepared every day after which order we were thrown into the pond among the rest at length you arrived and we were presented to you but we were not permitted to make ourselves known unless you should interrogate us and we dared not infringe the law so tired we were of submitting to its rigour for having formerly disobeyed it in mere trifles we were selected by you one morning i and the queen and we had not time to bid the princess adieu ere you carried us to the kitchen we had scarcely touched the bottom of the fatal mortar when effulgent herself came to save us and on restoring me to my proper shape she transported me to this my usual residence 
i had the consolation of seeing the queen and our companions likewise restored to their proper persons but i do not know what has become of them the fairy embraced me and told me to await you here and inform you of all that i have just told you when you should arrive here in search of the princess i had been looking forward to the present moment with impatience as you may well believe sir continued citronetta to prince Serville, who was listening to her attentively until at last yesterday just as i had seated myself at the mouth of my well effulgent appeared our children will soon be happy said she to me my dear citronetta Zerfil must restore to marmotta her case as an end to his labours for he has scaled the princess ah great queen cried i are we then so happy as to have an end to our fears yes said she you are indeed Zerfil thinks he has only scaled marmotta but he has in reality scaled the princess as marmotta being concealed in the handle of the knife wherewith he performed his terrible sacrifice at the moment that he finished shelling the crawfish rendered the princess invisible to his eyes and substituted herself marmotta in her place what exclaimed zirphil and was it then my charming princess to whom i acted with so much cruelty alas have i been barbarous enough to make her suffer this cruel punishment oh heavens she will never forgive me nor do i deserve her forgiveness the unhappy zirphil spoke so wildly and appeared so grievously afflicted that the poor citronetta was herself grieved that she had communicated to him this cruel piece of intelligence so said she at last seeing the prince in a reverie so you did not know this i did not indeed answered zirphil for had i known it was my princess i would rather have stabbed myself to the heart with the unlucky knife but reflect said citronetta that if you had stabbed yourself to the heart the princess would have remained for ever in the power of her enemy and of your detested rival and that it is much better to have shelled her than by killing yourself to have allowed her to remain miserable this last argument founded on the real state of the question soothed the prince's grief and citronetta prevailed on him to take a little food to keep himself alive just as they had finished their little repast the vault of the saloon opened and effulgent appeared seated in a car made of a large carbuncle and drawn by a hundred butterflies she alighted assisted by the prince who bathed the hem of her robe with a torrent of tears the fairy raised him and said prince Zerfil, you will this day reap the fruit of your heroic actions be comforted at last you will enjoy true happiness i have overcome the fury of marmotta by my entreaties and your fortitude has disarmed her come with me to receive your princess from her hands and mine ah gracious madam cried the prince throwing himself on his knees am i not in a dream is it possible that so much happiness can be real do not doubt it said the fairy come with me sir to your kingdom to console the queen your mother for your absence and for the death of the king your father your subjects are impatient to crown you the prince felt notwithstanding his joy a very lively grief on hearing the news of the king his father's death 
but the fairy to withdraw him from his sorrow seated him by her side in her car and allowed citronetta to establish herself at their feet then her butterflies displayed their brilliant wings and took the direction of zirphil's dominions on their route the fairy desired him to look inside his ring he did so and found in it the case that he had to restore to marmotta the prince thanked the generous effulgent a thousand times and they presently arrived at the kingdom where they were awaited with so much impatience the queen zirphil's mother came to assist the fairy to alight from her car and all the people on being instructed of the prince's return made such long and hearty acclamations that they partly dissipated the prince's grief he tenderly embraced the queen and they adjourned to a magnificent apartment prepared by her majesty for their reception which they had no sooner entered than marmotta arrived in a little chariot lined with spanish leather drawn by winged white rats she brought with her the fair minikin in all the beauty of her natural figure together with the king and queen her father and mother effulgent and zirphil's mother went out to receive and embrace marmotta and the prince walking respectfully up to her presented the toothpick-case and kissed her paw which she extended to him with a gracious smile marmotta then permitted zirphil to embrace his wife and to present her to his parent who embraced her with transports of the most lively affection a general interchange of civilities then took place among the numerous persons comprising this illustrious assemblage and joy reigned in every breast minikin and her charming husband alone spoke not so much as they had to say to each other their silence had a certain touching eloquence which affected every one present the good citronetta shed tears of joy as she kissed the hands of her divine princess at last effulgent took them both by the hand and leading them to the queen zirphil's mother behold madam said she two young lovers who only await your consent to complete their happiness my sister the illustrious king and queen here present and myself all join to request its fulfilment the queen of course consented in terms suitable to so polite a speech then marmotta touched the fair minikin with her wand and her dress which before had been magnificent was immediately changed into one of silver brocade embroidered all over with gold and her beautiful hair instantly arranged itself into a coiffure of such exquisite taste that the kings and queens declared her dazzling charms to be absolutely perfect in the meanwhile the toothpick-case which the fairy held in her hand became a crown of brilliant diamonds so beautifully set and so bright that the apartment and all the palace received a new lustre as marmotta placed it on the prince's head the prince in his turn was dressed in a suit which perfectly matched with minikin's attire and from the ring which he had received from that princess there issued a crown exactly like hers they were immediately married and proclaimed king and queen of that fine country the fairies provided the royal banquet at which as may be expected by those who know their extreme liberality nothing was wanting after staying a week with the young king and queen 
and loading them with gifts, they departed, and restored Minikin's father and mother to their kingdom, the inhabitants of which had been so severely punished for their faults that they had become a loyal and faithful people. With regard to Citronetta, the fairies gave her permission to spend some time with her beloved mistress, and also arranged that Minikin, by expressing a wish, might have the pleasure of seeing the nymph whenever she pleased. The fairies having taken their departure, never were two persons so happy as King Zerphil and Queen Minikin. Their felicity was in themselves and in each other, and their days flew by unmarked in their course, for all was joy. They had children who blessed them by their goodness, and they attained an extreme old age, their mutual affection and desire of pleasing each other increasing with their years. After their decease, their kingdom was divided, and, after innumerable vicissitudes, it has become, under one of their descendants, the flourishing empire of the great Mogul. End of chapter 20, part 2